Welcome to another Know My Faith Monday podcast. My guest this time is Dr. Richard Hill from CJF Ministries in Las Vegas. Wow, what a place to live. Let me tell you, we call it lost wages down here. It's a nice beach you have there in Las Vegas. I didn't know it was beside the sea. Yeah, I know. Well, I used to live by the beach in California, and then God called me to Las Vegas to yeah. lose all my wages. So uh, you got that you got that hippie tie dye T shirt thing on. It's uh, oh, I love these hippie tie dye T shirts. I love Israel. <laughs> yeah, that's that's awesome. So tell me about CJF Ministries. Well, we are a missionary organization around the world. Um, I don't know if we're in New Zealand. I don't think so, but we got to get somebody no. down there, right? That would be yeah. awesome. But we're around the world preaching the gospel of Jesus to the Jewish people. That's our focus. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. You've got to bring the gospel to the Jew first. Okay. So we evangelize uh, Jewish people. We teach yeah. other people how to do that. And we also teach Jewish roots in the churches. Uh, you've got to be careful with that term Jewish roots nowadays, though, don't we? Well, yeah. Hebrew roots is where you got to stay away from. But Jewish roots, <laughs> I'm okay with that. <laughs> All right. Exactly. And you also pastor a uh, Messianic fellowship. So does that mean you have Jewish blood? Actually, I do. Um, when I started ministering to the Lord a long time ago, it was 27 years ago, I didn't know I was Jewish, but I was already in the Messianic movement. I was actually teaching how Gentiles can be in the Messianic movement. Okay. So, yeah, I was Gentile. So, yeah, I'm part Jewish, though. I found out later on. So what did that... Did that change your, um, theology is the wrong word, but your way of thinking about faith? No, I, I, it didn't really change me personally. I know it's changed a lot of other people, but uh, I was already in the Messianic movement. I was already researching Jewish roots. I was already enthralled with understanding the Bible through Jewish eyes. So um, I've already been in, been in the movement for a few years. And uh, so once I found out, I just kind of put the icing on top of the cake or the cherry on yeah. top of the icing. You know? yeah, yeah, it's nice. So, I mean, I, I want to get into particularly your latest book, which is Israel and Prophecy, a chronology. Uh, but what I like to do is explore, particularly for people that um, were the background, you know, were they brought up in the church? Did they discover Yeshua? Did they discover Jesus first? What's your story? You had a Christian background, Christian upbringing? Yes, uh, it's a Christian background. I actually, well, you want to call it Christian, but I grew up in Episcopalian church. So that was my uh, understanding. I was a rebel all my life. Uh, I was born in New York City, uh, Staten Island, actually. Grew up in New Jersey. Okay. And of course, uh, nobody in New Jersey says New Jersey. I don't know if you guys know about that. In New Jersey. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's, that's, the, that's the New York accent, isn't it? It is. That's the New Yorkers. Yeah. They're the one that say New Jersey. Yeah. But, uh, so God moved me to Los Angeles without me even knowing it. I got saved in Los Angeles. Went to went to uh, um, uh, there was a large church there, but it was Hal Lindsey's church. Okay. Yeah. Oh, Lake Hal Great Lindsay. Planet Earth. Lake Great Planet Earth, and then the Rapture and all that. Yeah. Big on prophecy. Big on Israel. Big on grace. So that's what I grew up with in his church for a few years. And we helped uh, um, a missionary, this is a Jewish missionary, start a congregation outside of that church. So a, a group of us had moved on from that church and then started a Messianic congregation in Torrance, California. Yeah. That's All right. So I got saved at his church. And that's where I got, that's where I grew up, uh, was discipled. And my wife as well. We both got saved at the same time and discipled. And then we got married. And then we started uh, this congregation, uh, Beth El Shaddai, in Torrance, California. But it's no longer there. Okay. So are you saying like, um, that, that Hal Lindsey, that church was into the, the, the Jewish roots, the, the Messianic things back in the well, 70s? I wouldn't say he was into Jewish roots. What I would say was he was into the Bible and prophecy in Israel. He knew yeah. all about Israel and the scriptures. And he taught it, and he went to Israel, did his tours, and he was really focused on Jewish people. There was a lot of Jewish people in his church, which is yep. really, you don't see that at all uh, in churches here in the United States that much at all. But he had a lot of a lot of Jewish people were there, and they were saved. You know? Okay, so how did you discover your uh, your Jewish heritage? 
Well, um, my grandmother, it's through my grandmother on my mom's side, and she was German. And she always, she spoke broken English her whole life. And okay. the other word was a German word, but it ended up being a Yiddish word, you know? So what happens is my grandmother was a bastard child. In 1917, she was born in Germany. And uh, her dad did not marry her mom. So what happened is he bought her, uh, you know, the, the girl that he impregnated, he bought her a villa. And so my grandfather after a lot of time, decided, hey, I'm going to find out who this guy was. And he looked, He went to Germany and found out that, that this was the guy who, you know, who gave her bothered the villa and okay. turned out to be a Jewish guy. So he would be the father, and, you know, he took care of my grandmother and her mom. Uh, but then he left town, you know. He was gone. Yeah, yeah we did. I mean, I, I have no Jewish blood at all in me. Um, you know, it's, I can't even say, you know, there's one 64th or anything like that. I'm, I'm English on one side and Scottish Irish on the other side. And, you know, mm-hmm. um, and I think there's, there's times when we go, oh, if only I had a little bit of Jewish blood. Well, my youngest son is, uh, is uh, seeing a young lady who does have Jewish blood. And I go, well, at least I might get grandchildren. Which, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, this is one of the, this is one of the things we do is, we uh, we chase Jewishness somewhat. There's there's something in us as Gentile believers that wants to have a connection with the Jewish people, and I think that sometimes puts us wrong because in Christ we don't actually need that anymore. What we don't need any more than what He has done in making us the one the one new man. That's right. That's right. We don't need to go too far on the Jewishness, and I don't do that personally. I, when I'm in ministry, I'm focusing on not who's Jewish and who's Gentile. I'm focusing on how are we following the Lord. You know. Yeah. It's so it's so hard to do that nowadays, and uh, so that's what I focus on. Uh, I'm Gentile and I'm Jewish. I'm part Jewish. I'm Gentile. I'm German, English, and Jewish. So I'm all mixed up, and uh, yeah. I don't really care to be honest with you. <laughs> So, so it's actually Dr. Richard Hillstein. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> you never know. So, um, so CJF Ministries uh, to the Jew first. How does that work in Las Vegas? I wouldn't think there would be an awful lot of Jewish people in Las Vegas. Well, you know, when I was approached with the job from CJF Ministries, uh, I thought the same thing. And that was 20 years ago. Now there's 80,000 Jewish people living in Las Vegas. If you can My goodness. Yeah, there's a whole lot of Jewish people here, and you know we're giving the gospel out to as many as we can all the time. I need more help, so anybody from New Zealand wants to come and live in Las Vegas. If you can't stand the weather in New Zealand and you want to come into like 110, 115 degrees in the summertime, then come on down. I'm happy. Oh, yeah, yeah. Nah, <laughs> nah. Thanks. Thanks anyway. I, um, uh, <laughs> it's terrible here in the summertime. <laughs> for... For a lot of Christians, when we think of Jewish people, we think that most of them are Orthodox, not ultra-Orthodox, but, but at least God-believing Jews. Um, what we discover, obviously, with those that travel through New Zealand that we meet, is that most are secular Jews, either atheist or agnostic. What, what's the case in Las Vegas? It's the same in Las Vegas. You have your 10 to 20% that are Orthodox, and then you've got your 80% that are either agnostic, or liberal or conservative uh, on the on the scale of Judaism. So we have a small percentage of Messianic Jews here, of course. There's two congregations in Las Vegas. We've got two million total people living in Las Vegas. So and we are a desert. You know, outside yeah. of Las Vegas is a desert. So there's nowhere to go. There's small towns out there, but uh, yeah, so we're stuck here. And um, but we do get the gospel out as best as we can in a lot of different ways. So what is ministry, I want to get onto your books and particularly the latest one in a minute, but what does ministry to Jewish people look like to you apart from just pastoring, if I can use the word just, apart from pastoring the um, the fellowship? Well, you know, obviously we, we invite the Jewish people to our feasts and our services, our Shabbat services that we have. We have a Erev Shabbat on Friday nights. So, you know, it's like we just had Passover. And even though COVID-19 was a big deal and, you know, we still have restrictions, we still had a Passover. We had uh, almost 100 people at our Passover, which is astounding. You know, it was awesome. Uh, yep. We had a few unsaved Jewish people there, unsaved Gentiles as well. So that was exciting. So that's how we do it. But 
uh, when we go out, uh, I go to the malls, especially in the summertime, there's a lot of Jewish people selling products in the malls. So uh, they have their kiosks there in the mall. So we go walk in the mall. I wear the T-shirts. And yeah. actually, I bring a bunch of T-shirts with me, and I give them out. I share them with the Jewish people, and they love them. They absolutely love them. And uh, so, but while we're sharing the T-shirts, I'm also sharing Yeshua with them, too. Now, I've got yeah, an so outreach at UNLV. That's the University of Las Vegas. There's 20,000-plus students that attend there. And there's over 10% Jewish people that attend that school as well. So okay. I have a group of people that goes out with me. When we go to the malls, we go to UNLV, and we share the gospel that way. And then whenever there's events, big-time events um, with the Jewish people, then we'll attend those as well. Uh, sometimes they have them in the casinos. You get like 3,000, 5,000 Jewish people will attend. We'll go to those and, and be a part of that, try and share, and just be a light to the Jewish people as well there. Yeah. Well, apart from the temperature, you're almost tempting me to uh, to move to Las Vegas. Yeah, temperature is terrible here in the summertime. It's, 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 I'm, I was born and bred in Dunedin, which is one of our most southern cities in New Zealand. And as I was saying to one of my co-workers uh, yesterday, when I was growing up, there was days in the winter where it didn't get above minus two. That's Celsius. You know, so I'm not sure what that is in your Fahrenheit. Um, Let's talk about your, your latest book, Israel and Prophecy, a, a chronology. Now, I know um, a book that I narrated for Arnold Fruchtenbaum, which, who you reference in your book, uh, his, his massive tome, uh, Footsteps of the Messiah. And he tried to put all of that into chronological order, all those prophecies. How difficult was that? That is tremendously difficult. And I tell you, I would not have uh, partaken of that event uh, unless the Lord told me to put the book together. I've been studying prophecy, Israel and prophecy, for 27 years now since I've been a believer. You know, started with Hal Lindsey, and then after that, you know, I studied a lot of, uh, under Arnold as well. And uh, I would not have normally done that. It's very difficult to do it, but, uh, and it has to be Holy Spirit led as well at times. Yep. You, know, you know, if you don't have the New Testament, if you just study the Old Covenant Scriptures, well, then you're not going to know order about anything, really. It's all hoshpots. It's all connected together. Even at first coming and second coming verses all together. You don't know. You don't know the order until you get to the New Testament, New Covenant Scriptures, right? And then Revelation yep. helps to put it all together at the end. So, uh, but it doesn't. You still have to be able to put some of these things together. Like, like when I'm writing about the Ezekiel War. And the pre-trib rapture, those are both events that are imminent. They can happen yep. at any time. So my guess, and that's my personal guess, is that the Ezekiel War is coming first. So the Ezekiel War, this is this is the Gog, Magog, what um, the, the Russian-led failed invasion of Israel. Yes, right. Yeah. Russia, so, see, so many people miss that because they go, and, and this is because, again, having narrated footsteps, and I haven't read your book fully, but I know you, that, that a lot of it, you've, you've not based it, but you've used footsteps as a, as a guide with it. Um, we can look at that and go, well, hang on, that's the Battle of Armageddon, isn't it? Yeah. But there's all these other prophecies. You go, well, no, it can't be because of such, such, such. A lot of, a lot of good teachers believe that it is Armageddon. And, um, but I detail through chapter 38 and 39 in, in the book because uh, I don't believe it is. And there, to, for me, there are way too many differences in uh, dealing with those wars. Uh, one of the differences is very beginning of chapter 38, you're identified with Russia and Iran. You have actually, I've, I've listed five, yep. five, uh, five countries that are involved in this attack against Israel in the Ezekiel War. Now, when you get to the Armageddon War, it's all nations. It's the whole world. All nations attack Jerusalem and, and Israel, you know, but it's specifically Jerusalem to battle. So um, that's a big difference right there. And to me, that's big enough. And there's other there, there's other differences as well. In the well, there are nations that support Israel uh, during that war, during that Magog war. There are. There will be some. Uh, they'll support, but not. They're not going to do it any in defense. Yeah. There are no nations that actually come to Israel's defense. There'll be probably nations that will say, "Hey, what are you doing?" Like it does say in chapter thirty-eight. You know, uh, and I think those are Arab nations. They're saying, hey, what are you doing? You're attacking, you're going for the, you know, you're going for all the, the spoils. 
Yeah. And, and my take is, hey, you're going for all the spoils. How come you didn't invite us? We want to go for the spoils too, you know? But yeah, the key in the Ezekiel War is that God wants to be glorified. And there's no nation that helps them, not even the United States, which we're supposed to be helping them, right? Yeah, and yeah. Trump, we would have helped, of course, and but and nobody would ever attack Israel at that point. But now under Biden, uh, this war could have happened at any time. And he's really stepping up his his rhetoric, at least, his rhetoric with Russia. So, yes. Um, and Iran as well. And so I, you know, I really don't know where he's going with any of this. Yeah, and Putin's not sitting on his hands doing nothing. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting to watch to see how it all all the pieces are coming together. And One of the things, uh, Richard, with the, um, the the chronology of prophecy, I mean, you'll get it the same as I do. People talking about COVID nineteen and the mark of the beast and and everything, and I'm going, okay, so so this is the mark of the beast that comes halfway through the tribulation, which is three and a half years after the Antichrist signs a peace deal with Israel after he's deposed three of the ten kings from the ten. Uh, government, which is after the Russian failed invasion. This is the mark of the BC talk. People just don't understand the chronology and, and so of the end times. The eschatology is all over the place. Right, right. And that's one of the reasons why I wrote the book, so that people will understand what's going on. Today, we see this mark of the beast. I mean, yes, this is a precursor. The things that are happening right now, you know, where they're, they're going after uh, the currency, they've got the, the vaccine, you know, the, all these things, these are just precursors of what is going down the line, and what is coming down the pike in the future. The mark of the beast happens at mid-trip. It's the yeah. middle of the tribulation period. Anti-Messiah is already, at, at that point, is in power of the world. And now he's going to attack all the Jewish people. He's going to attack the Christians as well, Gentile Christians and the Messianic believers. But he is going to go after Jews first in Israel and around the world. He's going to just try to attack them all. So there's a great attack. And then, you know, Zechariah tells us that two-thirds of the Jewish people are going to die in that second half of yeah. the Jewish period. So he's going to be successful, but he's not going to be able to wipe them out. We know in Jeremiah 31... And it tells us that no one's going to be able to wipe out the Jewish people. At all. God's going to preserve them. Yeah. So you see this as uh, that, that two-thirds of the Jewish people being killed during that war. Not, well, not, not, during, the, not during the three and a half years after the... Yeah, in the, in the tribulation period, the second half. Okay, yeah. yeah two-thirds of the Jewish people will die at that time, yeah. That's when anti-Messiah anti attacks them and goes after them. Uh, yeah. At that point, he doesn't want them alive. He wants them dead. You know? He's trying to destroy oh, them completely. I was noticing in your book, and we're gonna, we, unfortunately, we're going to do exactly what the prophets do here. We're going to be jumping back and forth all over the place here. But I noticed in your book, and if I've got it right, that uh, you say the Messianic Jewish community leave Jerusalem and Israel in the middle of the tribulation and head off towards Bosra. Um, if I remember from Fruchtenbaum's book, he doesn't put the word messianic in there. He just puts the Jewish people. Yeah, well, um, I can't speak for him on that one. But for me, uh, in Matthew 24, verse 15, he's talking to believers. Uh, believers are the ones that are reading the scriptures. And that's the key uh, aspect of verse 15 there. Yep. At, uh, the ones who are reading the scriptures, which is Matthew and then also David. You know, the prophecy is David chapter 9 and uh, Matthew 24, verse 15, and then following, of course. So, but that group of believers is going to be leaving the land. And I believe they're going to Petra, which a lot of, a lot of believers believe that too. Yes. Uh, yeah. But I don't think it's only Petra. You know, it's the whole Paran mountain range area down there. And there's a whole lot of caves in the ground everywhere down there. So, you know, they'll be able to, to hide. And, and But the whole point is that God is going to protect them. God is going to protect them physically and also uh, provide for their needs as well for three and a half years. Miraculously. And this is this is one of the things that we don't understand with the, uh, again, with the chronology of the end times. Um, there are prophecies regarding uh, massive warfare in that Bosra Petra is a southern Jordan area, and those prophecies have never been fulfilled mm -hmm. up to 2021 when we're recording this. Those prophecies have not yet been fulfilled, and they're pretty, pretty full on warfare. 
Yeah, yeah, it's quite amazing, actually. Especially when you read a, a couple of prophecies in Isaiah, and they talk about uh, Yeshua landing in that area and then working back from Petra area to Israel and then to Jerusalem and then, of course, to the uh, the Jezreel Valley where Armageddon is going to occur. So, uh, I mean, there's so many, and that's why we're talking about Jewish roots, right? There's so many Jewish yeah. roots in Israel and prophecy. Now, I got people saying, oh, you know, they don't believe in prophecy at all. You know, and, and 50% of Bible-believing believers around the world don't believe in prophecy or just don't know how to understand it. And so that's why I wrote, the, well, one of the reasons why I wrote the book, but I'm hoping Jewish people read it too and that they'll get saved. You know, they'll yeah. get scared that, hey, you know, there's a Holocaust coming. Uh, and, and then, of course, the Christian church, they need to be reading so that just so that we understand and that we don't get fooled. The scripture says the elect can even be fooled in this time. Yeah, okay? yeah. And in that the, time, um, the I mean, most, most of us, I mean, I'm a similar age to you. So most of us that grew up in the church in that area, we got our eschatology from Hal Lindsey, from the late great planet Earth. Um, we got it from that terrible, terrible um, movie which had the Larry Norman song at the end of it. Which I, you remember that one? It was a, you know, I wish we'd all been ready. Great song, but the movie was just horrible. I don't know. Um, and and then of course we've got um, the Left Behind series, which, you know, when I passed at a church, those books went into the, into, not into the library, they went into the cupboard. Um, but this is where most of us have our eschatology, our end times theology from. And you look at it and you go, I mean, w with all respect for Hal Lindsey. He missed so much. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he misses a lot. Um, and, and those books, too, as well, uh, they're fiction books. Okay, they're based exactly. on scriptures. And there's a lot of good Jewish teaching in there, you know, Jewish roots things. But it's based, it is, it's it's like a movie, you know. You're, it's based on truth, but you, you put in a lot what you're going to put in. So we have to go by scripture. And that's what I do. I teach. None of this is me. Uh, writing all this, it's all my commentary. Of course, it's my commentary being read by the Lord, but it's all the scripture and how I see the scripture, how I research the scripture, gone through the Hebrew scripture, the, the Greek word studies and the Hebrew word study, and put it all together. Now, hey, like I said, uh, I may be wrong. You know, the Ezekiel War may not be first. It may be, you know, the pre-trib rapture. That may come first. And then yeah. the Ezekiel War afterward. And I write that, you know, I, I make that clear because, because uh, you know, but I have my reasons why I believe the Ezekiel War is going to happen first. And I think, just, I think God, you know, God, Ezekiel 38, 39 is very cool. God yeah. says, I'm going to show the world who I am. So even the Jewish people are going to be able to know the Lord. And that doesn't mean on a personal level, it just means they're going to know about him as being the God of Israel. And so I believe he wants the church to also know who he is because God has been drawing a line in the sand now for, what, 10, 20 years for the church to make up her mind. What side are we on? And regarding so, Israel. I'm sorry? Yeah, regarding Israel. What side are we on? Yeah. Is that Yeah, because so many people, they look at Israel, they go, well, hang on, you, you've got this modern state of Israel. Yes, they're now 71 years old, but it's not a godly, godly state. They don't worship, you know, it's, it's a secular state, and they've got the biggest... Uh, um, LGBT Mardi Gras in the world in Tel Aviv. How can God still be blessing the oh. Jewish people? And and so maybe this this uh, God stepping in to deal to the Russians is him saying, actually, go back and read your Bible again, or, or read Richard Hill's book. Yeah, check it out because uh, it's serious. And I think God wants Christians to make up their mind. Who side are they on? Uh, you know, because many of many of us have uh, one foot in the world and one foot in the church. And God doesn't want that either. We can't be lukewarm believers like Laodicea in church. Yeah. Revelation chapter three. So, you know, we, we've got to we've got to make up our minds. And there's just, you know, I see it all the time when I'm out evangelizing uh, Jewish and Gentile people. All the time. I see it all the time and run into these believers. And it's like, really, are you really a believer or, you know, you just say you're a believer, you know? We're doing for the Lord. Let's get going. Yeah. Let's we go back to Pet Petra, or as the Bible calls it, Bosra, um, where, and I agree with you, the Bible teaches that Jesus will return to earth at Bosra. 
Most Christians believe he will return to the Mount of Olives because the two angels said, as you have seen him go, so you will see him come. Yeah. That, how, do you, how do we get Bosra? Well, we've got a section of, of the scriptures, uh, a section of the book about the scriptures that cover that. In the book of Acts, of course, uh, people misunderstand that scripture. You want to go there? Yep. Yep, let's go there. Let's go there. So it's in Acts chapter 1. Verse 9 to 11. And actually, well, yeah, let's let's go 9 through 11. And after he said these things, this Yeshua, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was departing, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. And they also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you going into heaven, will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. And so will come in just the same way, or in the Greek it means the same manner. It doesn't mean coming back to the same place. Yeah. And that's where you see a lot of expositors just assume, well, you're coming back to, to Mount of Olives. And that's where, that's the beginning of, of the teaching um, but we can go to some of the, the, the verses as well that talk about Yeshua actually in Bajra. Yeah. And in his second coming. So, but uh, let's skip the Zechariah 14 passage. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 63. That's one of my favorites. Isaiah 63 is the first six verses. And uh, if you don't have tabs in your Bible, well, then you can't sound like you are an expert, okay? That's right, yeah. Got tabs, and I can get right to Isaiah 63. We'll, we'll, we'll give you four minutes to find Isaiah. <laughs> All right, now, uh, let's, okay, first three verses. Yeah, let's just do the first three verses. Yep. Who is this who comes from Edom? Now, Edom is Esau, right? This is where Esau planted. Actually, it started with, that's southwest Jordan. With garments of glowing colors or crimson colors, meaning red. From Basra, this one who is majestic in his apparel, marching in the greatness of his strength. It is I who speak in righteousness, mighty to save. That's Yeshua, right? Yes. Why is your apparel red and your garments like the one who treads in the winepress? I have trodden the wine trough alone, and from the peoples there was no man with me. I also trod them in my anger and trampled them in my wrath. And their lifeblood is sprinkled on my garments, and I stained all my raiment. For the day of vengeance was in my heart, and my year of redemption has come. And so this is the second coming of Yeshua, but it specifically says he's coming from Edom. He is coming from Basra. Now, Basra yeah, and, and, and where is he coming to from there? So this is the thing with the, the whole Jerusalem Mount of Olives. If he's yeah. coming, he's not coming from Basra to Cairo. He's coming from Basra to Jerusalem, to the Mount of Olives. Exactly. And so the idea here is, well, how did he get to Basra if he's going to the Mount of Olives when anti-Messiah, you got to remember, anti-Messiah has already attacked Jerusalem. He's taken half yes. the city. And the battling is still going on. And Jerusalem is the last stronghold of Israel. So he's already got Israel. Now he's going after Jerusalem at the end. So Jesus, if he lands on the Mount of Olives, well, then, you know, he's going to have to do something at that point. It doesn't make any sense. Why is he no, uh, Edom? Well, if he, if the group, that group that you were talking about, the Messianic Jews that left Israel at mid-Shrib and went to Petra area, which is Baza area, well, now he's going to get them first. And then they're traveling back with him to Israel. It's, a, it's, a, it's kind of a hike, that's for sure. It's going to be, what, 60, 100 miles or so to, to get yep. back. But... Um, you know, he's able to do it. Now, that's not the only scripture that talks about this. It's, it's really amazing. There are others, like in Isaiah, let's look at the Isaiah 34. So there's a lot of verses in this one, Isaiah 34, first 10 verses. So let's go back to that. Habakkuk is another uh, example as well. And this great scripture but these are the verses that a lot of the commentators don't, don't even know about. No. They don't even talk about this when they talk about the second coming of Yeshua. It's like, 
why are you leaving all this out? I don't know. Because I don't know about it, I guess. We don't, don't know it or don't understand it, don't connect it. Yeah, now this is the day of vengeance. Yep. Yahweh's day of vengeance, right? This first eight, for the Lord is a day of vengeance, a year of recompense for the cause of Zion. So he's coming back for the Jewish people of Jerusalem. Uh, start back in, uh, in verse one here. Well, let's jump to verse five, all right? Let's okay. get the crux of it. For my sword is satiated in heaven. Behold, it shall descend for judgment upon Edom. Again, Edom. And upon the people whom I have devoted to destruction. The sword of the Lord is filled with blood and is sated with fat, with the blood of lambs and goats, with the fat of the kidneys of rams. For the Lord has a sacrifice in Basra and a great slaughter in the land of Edom. So that's where he's going to start his Armageddon war from. Anti-Messiah doesn't give up, right? He's going after those Jews. He's, he's not going to sit in Jerusalem and go, oh, oh, look, all the Jewish yeah, people have gone he's off to Petra. Oh. He's going after them. So he's got soldiers that are, you know, spanning from Israel all the way down into Jordan, trying to get at them. We don't know how God is protecting them, but he's doing it probably in a similar manner that he did for the Jewish people at the Red Sea. You know? Yeah. Dark cloud, you know, angel of uh, death is over there, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, I watched a video the other day that a friend of mine who was a fireman sent me, and uh, it was uh, a hose that was set on on wide as opposed to narrow, which we normally see with a fire hose, and it was pushing up against um, a jet of flame uh, from a gas pipe. So as the flame from the gas pipe was coming out, the, the hose was pushing and pushing and pushing, and it would push, it was pushing the flame back. And when I think about um, Yeshua in that last battle, arriving uh, in Bosra, and then pushing that army of the Antichrist back all the way up to Jerusalem, exactly. all the way up to the Valley of Megiddo. Yeah, all the way back, and and they're they're going to be in the Valley of Megiddo as well. Uh, because, you know, there are millions, I, I, write, I write about mega millions of soldiers. You see, his idea is he wants to wipe out Israel completely. You know, the Antichrist does, yeah, not Jesus. Yeah, no, we're talking about anti-Messiah. Yeah, he wants to wipe yeah. them all out. So Yeshua is going to push them all back, push them all back. But along the way, he is wiping them out. Like in Zechariah chapter 14, he speaks, his word comes out of his mouth, and these people are rotting. They are rotting. They are rotting at that moment. And, you know, what happens when bodies rot? Well, you're gonna, there's got to be blood spilling. You know? yeah. So that's why I see a whole lot of blood, you know, and, and Revelation, I see that as being uh, literal, you know, where there's there's a whole lot of blood going to be spilled there because there's millions and millions of soldiers and uh, and peoples as well that are just yeah. there and they're going to they're gonna be destroyed just by Yeshua's word. So, that's to me. That's miraculous, and yeah. it's, but it is very unfortunate because you don't want to see people dying and going to hell. No. Nobody does, but that's the unfortunate thing. They are going to. It's just going to happen. This is way it's written. That's the way it is. Yeah, and this is the day of the Lord's wrath. This is when He says, "That's it. You've been given plenty of chances." You know, when we talk about um, the people that are on the earth at this time that are not believers, in Revelation it says. Uh, they they curse God to his face. They know fully, they know full well that it's the God of the Bible that is doing causing the tribulation. And in fact, the Bible says, instead of repenting before him, they curse him to his face. And it's God's going, I, I wrote this down 2,000 years ago for you in the book of Revelation. I told you this was happening. Pick up a Bible and read it, right? There's your name there. This is what's happening here. You're hiding in the rocks. This has happened. I've given you every opportunity I can Amen. to turn to me. Amen. So whatever happens next, that's on you. That's right. And you've uh, been saying that for 6,000 years now, since the beginning. You know? <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's right. Um, there's this... There's this thing in the, at the at the end of the battle of, of the tribulation after the battle of Armageddon. There's this weird situation of an extra 
75 days mm-hmm. before the millennial kingdom kicks in. What do you see happening in that time? Well, my, there's actually a lot of stuff happening. Um, number one, if you believe that there's going to be a lot of blood being spilled, uh, somebody's got to clean it up. And um, I believe there's a scripture in the Tanakh. Yeah, it's actually in Zechariah. Oh, no, it's in Isaiah. Isaiah, where it talks about the spirit of burning. And there's a spirit of burning that's going to occur. It's also a spirit of judgment. Um, but a spirit of burning, which is really odd when you think about it. But um, how else can you get rid of a whole lot of blood out of the land? You see, the land is defiled when blood is spilled, even just yes. a little bit, right? Even just a little and we, bit. We know, that, we know that right from the start. When, when Cain killed Abel, God says to Cain, he says, the blood of your brother cries out from the land. Amen. Amen. And that even in Egypt, you know, they didn't put the blood of the lamb on the ground. They put it on the doorposts, right? They yeah. put it on the ground because that would defile. So Israel is really completely defiled. I mean, with all those dead bodies, all that blood, it doesn't matter how much blood you think is going to be there. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It's defiled. And God has got to get it cleaned up before you can start a millennial kingdom. You can't have all that blood spill. It's got to get clean. So um, Isaiah, uh, the scriptures, chapter 4. Why don't we go there? You want to see this scripture? This yeah, why not? That's, that's what we've got Bibles for. Yeah, Isaiah. We also need we also need to talk for those that aren't aware of, of where we get this idea of the seventy five days, which is which is from Daniel. But we'll go there in a minute. Oh, the seventy five day interval. Yeah, oh. yeah, yeah. That's from Daniel. Okay, so Isaiah four verse three and four. You know, first time I read this, I was just in awe of God. You know, many years ago, but it's really cool. That's the whole point, isn't it? <laughs> that's for sure. Uh, verse two in that day. Uh, the branch of the Lord of Yahweh will be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the earth will be the pride and the adornment of the survivors of Israel. Survivors of the tribulation period going into the messianic millennial kingdom. That's what he's talking about. And it will come about that he who is left in Zion, Zion is Jerusalem, and remains in Jerusalem will be called holy. Everyone who is recorded for life in Jerusalem. So, Whoever's recorded in the book of life will make it into the kingdom. That's the whole point. I mean, that's what Jewish people are greatly desiring right now. You know, they're in the book of life. Yeah. Verse 4 now. When the Lord has washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion and purged the bloodshed of Jerusalem from her midst. So he's got to purge the bloodshed. He's getting rid of the filth of the sin of the daughters, right? By the spirit of judgment and the spirit of burning. Now, the word for burning in the Hebrew is ba'ar, and it does mean burn, it means consume. Yep. So it's, yeah, it's a, it's a so, you can take it. So one wonders, if I can borrow a term from the, uh, from the MCU, one wonders why God doesn't just snap his fingers and clean up the mess. Yeah, well, why didn't just God save everybody as well, you know? Why go through the 6,000-year mess that we're in? <laughs> yeah. Well, he allowed yeah. things to happen, and... Uh, you know, I think he wants to do it himself. He's the one that actually, you know, Yeshua is the one that's causing the problem. You know, I mean, he's doing the war. So he's the one that killed everybody. Uh, so he's going to do the cleanup and it's going to be through burning that thing. That's do you think that points back, though, when it talks about the cleaning up the mess, the daughters of Jerusalem, does it point back in some ways to what God says about Israel in Ezekiel when he found her wallowing in her afterbirth and all that and cleaning up the mess? Would be a tie back to that, maybe? Oh, I'm sorry, you were. I, I was all I heard was mumbling. <laughs> oh dear, oh dear. Maybe that's. I'll, I'll have to speak a bit louder for this microphone. Yeah. In Ezekiel, when God talks to Israel and He says, "I found you wallowing in your afterbirth, and I cleaned you up, and I took you in." In this passage that you've just read in Isaiah about cleaning up the mess of the daughters of Jerusalem, do you think that might point to that at all? That could be a nice connection, definitely. Oh yeah, yeah. That's yeah, it could be because, uh, but that sounds like it's talking about birth too. You know? Yeah, well, the birth, the birth at the beginning, and we're talking here at the at the yeah. end of what in, in our in our current thinking, the end of what Israel is, and the beginning of the millennial kingdom, which, yeah, which still like involves that. it. Yeah. I like that. That sounds good. 
Um, let's look at the 75 days because we, we all know that uh, we've got the terms, um, you know, how long will this be? It'll be for time, times, and, and half a time. Uh, and then we've got the 1260 days here and there. And, and yeah. often we just go, oh, well, the first half of the tribulation, three and a half years. Second half, three and a half years. After that, millennial kingdom. But when you actually do the figures, there's that little gap. There's a gap. There's a gap. Yeah. In Daniel chapter 12, we got to look at the gap. You start, it's really right at the end of the book here. Uh, in verse 11, and we're just kind of cutting through, you know, some scriptures here. But in verse 11, it says, And from the time that the regular sacrifice is abolished, and the abomination of desolation is set up, there will be 1,290 days. So when was the regular sacrifice abolished? Anti-Messiah stopped that at mid-trib. So into yep. the tribulation period at mid-trib, he stopped it. The abomination of desolation is set up right at mid-trib as well. So yes. three and a half years in. So now three and a half years is 1,260 days. So the second yeah, but, but, but the angel here said 1,290. There you go. So now you got 30 extra days. What's going on? Well, it certainly looks like the abomination of desolation is allowed to live for 30 extra days. The abomination of desolation is a statue or a hologram or some kind of a figure that becomes alive. And it actually tells people to take the mark and to worship uh, Hasatan. So, yeah, you got 30 extra days, which... I mean, that's mind-boggling, right? Why would you allow the uh, the abomination of desolation to last 30 extra days? After if Jesus is already there in Jerusalem, right. having beaten the armies of the Antichrist. Yeah, why would you do that? I mean, uh, the only conclusion I came to that I wrote down was that, that God wanted to show what's he going to do with evil. How is he going to destroy evil, you know, with this whole new this whole new uh, kingdom that's coming? Yeah. Well, I mean... That's mind-boggling. It's something still to pray about, I guess. Now, yeah, but, but there's another 45 days in there. Yeah, that's only 30 days. So verse 12 now, we get the rest. How blessed is he who keeps waiting and attains to the 1,335 days. So that's 45 more days. So now you've got 75 total days. But you're blessed if you're waiting and you make it to that day. That tells me that's the beginning of the kingdom. Now, when you look in your commentaries... A lot of them say that's the beginning of the kingdom right here. Yep. They don't understand that there's 75 days in between, which is uh, very odd. You know? But uh, they And they just spend a little bit of time on it, which is very strange. They're just like, yeah, that's the beginning of the kingdom. Boom, let's move on to the next point because I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> is, it, is it possible that those 75 days are at the beginning of the millennial kingdom as opposed to a gap? No, I don't think it's, uh, it doesn't run into the kingdom because when you get to Ezekiel, there's a section in there that tells you there are seven to eight days of sacrifices on the new temp on the new altar, which is the very beginning of the kingdom, I see, and the beginning of the new covenant for Israel. And so uh, you have to have everything's got to be cleaned up. And we're talking not only physically, but spiritually as well. All the idols have to be taken out of Israel. They're destroyed. Uh, yep. Everything's got to get clean. Well, not just Israel. I mean, you, you'd, you'd be talking a few Hindu idols in India as well. Oh, yeah. and you know, no, I, think, uh, I think there's idols from all over the world oh, again that have to be taken yeah. down and destroyed. Oh, yeah, there's all over the world. Um, but in Israel especially, there's still a lot of idol worship there and uh, a lot of evil stuff. It, it, the same in the yep. United States. Israel's just a little United States. They do all of the same exact stuff as we do. Probably in New Zealand as well. You guys, you know, I'm not going to say you guys are any better than anybody else. No, uh, no, we're just as bad as you. Yeah, you got a whole lot of sin, and so does Israel. So it's got to get all cleaned up. Now, there's other things. Yeshua, we got to build the third temple. Okay, the third temple, I mean, the fourth temple has got to be built. The third temple is going to be in the tribulation period. fourth temple is in the millennial kingdom. That's going to be so you don't see that being the same as the, as the tribulation temple? As the, no. As no, that temple is not going to be a good temple for Yeshua, no. It's a different temple, and the dimensions are, are completely different as well. And that's all covered in the writings. So. Yep, yep. So, which, which, uh, do you go into that in the book? Yes. Oh, yes. Yep. 
Yeah, we yeah. talked about that. The, 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 uh, the Millennial Kingdom Temple is a mile long, mile wide. Because this is the stuff when we're reading Ezekiel, we, we tend to jump that. Yeah. You know, because you get you get up to, what is it, chapter, what are we, up into the 40s, I think, in, in Ezekiel, and you go, oh, okay, so it's, now we're talking it's this long, okay, okay, next, you know. Right. It's, it's best to go through Ezekiel chapter 40 and 48, because that's where we get a lot of the information of the Millennial Kingdom, and the Hispanic yep. part of it as well. That's where we see sacrifices are going to occur. Animal sacrifices for sin are going to occur, and that's in the kingdom. I'll talk about that as well, explain why. But um, the temple is going to be huge. The temple mound is even huger. It's like 50 square miles. It's yeah. huge. Yeah, it's huge. So uh, very exciting. And, and a lot of Jewish people are going to be living on, on that temple mount. And if you see some of the pictures uh, that people have drawn about it as well, there's, there's fire all around the walls. Uh, there's, a, there's a chuppah. Oh, yeah, I was going to tell you about that. In Isaiah 4, uh, later on, uh, it talks about a, a chuppah. Which, which is the, the, the canopy. It's a canopy. That's the yep. English word. But the chuppah is the, is the Hebrew word. And a chuppah is, is a canopy that's over, typically when we get married, we, we have a, yes. a chuppah. And uh, we've got a nice one at the Bethesda. It's made out of wood. And then you can hang, you know, hang flowers and things on it. But, uh, but the Hebrew word is chuppah. And that, to me, is this, it's just mind-boggling. You know, God and is that I'm trying to remember? Is that just over mount. the? That's over the temple mount, not just over the temple, but over the whole temple. Over the mount. whole temple mount area, the chuppah, and it's going to be some kind of a, a canopy, you know. Um, but it's we don't know exactly what kind, you know. Yeah. God doesn't tell us. It's it's interesting with a lot of these. I mean, I, like yourself and and like many others, I I take scripture literally when it appears to be literal. Um, I do have an issue with the uh, the Valley of Megiddo filling with blood to uh, you know, two maybe two meters high because I've been there and that's a big long wide valley. That's a, you know I'm thinking how many horses and, and men is that going to take? Um, but when you look at these things and you go, okay, is that literal or is that figurative? And because of that, it's so difficult to actually picture. It's like when people try and draw Ezekiel's wheels within the wheels, you know. Right. What on earth does that look like? And, and eyes within that, and it's you know actually, you just go oh what, whatever God we'll find out one day. Rob, actually, uh, God gave me a vision a long time ago, and I saw the wheels within the wheels on angels. Yeah. Uh, in heaven, yeah. So they're they're actually literal. That's how. Are you able to Are you able to draw it for us? Yes, if I could draw, I can't draw for nothing. <laughs> um, I'm a preacher. I'm not a drawer. <laughs> Yeah, it's a it's it it kind of it's a wheel within a wheel, and it looked like um, you know you know uh, Bugs Bunny when they run real fast. Oh yeah, the yeah yeah yeah, yeah. the wheels of their legs. That's what it looked like, but it was a wheel within a wheel, and it was like there was a star in the middle, and they were circling, and that's how they move. Those certain angels, that's how they move. Not not all angels had these wheels, but those did, and I saw that. And God showed that to me. So to me, it's literal. But uh, I'm with you. I don't take every single little thing literal. But um, uh, the context really reveals whether it's literal or not. And other scripture as well. There's enough scripture for me to believe that that blood is is real. um, There's enough scripture like in Zechariah. It talks about the rotting of the bodies. and, And Jesus just... All he's got to do is speak it, and it's happening. So to me, it's like a yeah. like a bomb being blown up. Um, I, I take my hats off to people like you and others that have uh, put this in chronological order. Because even even if we were able to put the um, the Old Testament prophecies in the order that they came, um, because a lot of people won't realize that the that, you know we, we don't have uh, the Tanakh is not chronologically our Old Testament in the Christian Bible is not chronological. Yeah. Um, but even if we were able to put that one before that one and that one, the prophecies do not work chronologically even then. So you've got to go through and go, okay, this one's here and that one's there, and no, hang on, that doesn't fit there, it's got to go there. So I take my hats off to people like you and, and Bookerbaum and others that have done that. Well, 
it's a labor of love, just like anything else, you know. Um, that's why I've been studying for that long. Uh, I said, you know, originally I would not have done something. Like, I would not have put a, a book together unless the Lord told me to do it. So um, I studied that for a long time, and I felt comfortable enough to be able to do it. Uh, and like I said, I don't have the, all the answers there. But what I did was enough to put put it down into, and to be humble about it. To say, hey, we don't exactly know everything. It, when yeah. the trip comes around... We don't know the order of all those events that happen in mid-trib. Um, you know, the Bible is not clear on that, but we do know that these are events that happen at mid-trib. So they're all going to happen, boom, 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 boom. But, uh, you know, exactly how it's all going to work out. I put my little yep. order together, but, yeah, everybody has their own little order uh, when it comes to certain things in life. But that's the reason, you know, the Old Testament, when uh, the rabbis believe there's two messiahs. Yes, yeah, because they didn't. I mean, I can, I can see God sitting up there in heaven and going, oh, oh, I'm sorry, Richard, your puny little human mind can't understand what I'm doing. Oh, yeah. my bad. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, uh, Richard, it's been fascinating. Thank you so much for your time. And uh, we'll just put a link in there to, uh, to your ministries and the, the book Israel and Prophecy of Chronology so people can can sit down and read it. And, and hopefully that will open our eyes. But I mean, as we were saying um, off here before we began the podcast, it, we uh, our desire is not that people understand eschatology, end times prophecy fully. Our desire is that people come to understand, come to know Jesus, whether it's Jewish people or Gentile people. And yeah. that's our prayer for this podcast, is that people will come to know Yeshua through what we do. All throughout my book, I got prayers for the people who read it and and, uh, and just praying for the Jewish people, praying for their salvation and just praying that they'll reach out to the Jewish people as well with the gospel. So every chapter, there's a prayer at the end. And that's my real desire that, that we'll reach the Jewish people. Um, and, and you know what? There's no, there's no bad way to share the gospel in that sense. Um, why can't we use prophecy? Tell the Jewish people, you know what? There's a Holocaust coming, you know, and it's coming to Israel. That's what the scriptures say. So you need to believe in your Messiah. And I've done that a few times uh, over the years. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that. You just have to be led by the Lord at the right time, with the right yeah. people, you know. <laughs> the, at the right time with the right people. All right, Richard, thank you so much for your time. I'll let you head off and enjoy that wonderful Las Vegas beach behind you. Thank you. God bless you all and shalom.